Oh, hey, Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildediblewordpod.shopify.com or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! Welcome to the extended special holiday episode of the Wild Edible World podcast. This is just Michael. I just wanted to hop in for a quick intro and give a quick shout out and thank you to every single one of our listeners throughout our first year. Um, It's been a really exciting and fast growing year and just thank you to everybody. And this is our interview. It's going to be a little bit longer of an episode than usual because we just could not stop talking to our incredibly cool and awesome guest, the author, Lisa M. Rose. Go ahead and follow her on social media under that exact moniker, Lisa M. Rose. And without further ado, here is our interview with Lisa. So where are you? Where are you? Where are you located? Currently, I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan, so just oh, right, cool. too, not too far, yeah, Very off cool. of 94, you know, it's Definitely. not, I mean, not too far from you guys, I think generally have the same weather pattern and whatnot. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <sighs> well, first off, um, just before we get recording, I just want to say thank you for taking this call with us, and I apologize for having to reschedule a couple times due to oh, COVID that I had, um, so yeah, just thanks. Well, Absolutely. No problem. You know, in fact, I think, you know, extending, you know, grace to each other during such a continued time of one illness, wellness, all the things like that's no problem. Yeah, and there's so many floating around right now. It's nuts. I know. I think that it's been interesting. The whole re-entry, so to speak, into the world of germs is is, uh, sort of a fantastic I'm just going to be optimistic, just the, the participant observer, you know, fantastic. Sorry, my dinner timer went off for no, my family to check the oven. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> just, what are you making? Hold on. And, well, we have a couple things going on. We have a melange of vegetable, like a mm. vegetable stew. We're kind of going on the Thursday cleanout. Hey, Google, turn off the timer. <laughs> Sorry about the reality. Oh, good. No, no problem. Right there. <laughs> You know, if pandemic taught us anything, it was just to <laughs> Google <laughs> the humanity, right, of just all of our lives, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I love it because we can just be. So yeah, if you're sick, fine, I'll reschedule. Seriously, no problem, right? And it's just, I don't know. I think the the what it's given us is this great opportunity to be vulnerable, and it has nothing to do with foraging necessarily. But actually, it does because it allows us to be uncurated, right? I, I and think, super I think that, real. Yeah, I think that the honestly, the pandemic gave us like such a good opportunity to get this whole 
uh, foraging more out in public, I guess, like mm-hmm. a, a, in the public eye, rather. Um, yeah, I, I think the pandemic let us do that because it let us Absolutely. focus a little bit more on being outside and valuing being outside because it was one of the few areas where you could congregate and get some good people time and, and whatnot. Agree. 100% agree. And I never expected the anthropologist that I am that loves, you know, the wild plants, the unloved spaces to think that not only would Midwest foraging be super popular, but Mm -hmm. urban foraging would become an opportunity, right, for Mm -hmm. me to sort of share my framework of looking at, you know, city life, how I would, you know, consider meandering through a city, considering what's edible, but then also sort of looking toward the future and saying, oh my gosh, what do we need to do to uh, create vibrant diversity in our cities, vibrant, healthy um, ecosystems that have, uh, you know, pollinators and have butterflies and birds and God forbid the errant uh, woodchuck, which I have last summer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, they came to my house because it was a good it was a good house to stop by. <laughs> sure, yeah. The diversity, right? good and bad. You <laughs> know, it's a whole spectrum. Diverse, it is a spectrum. You don't want to be that girl on the block, by the way. But regardless, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it really, I think. I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't have been more um, appreciative for the universe offering me a chance to share my, my sort of, I guess, love for those corners of the universe and to really nudge all of my city dwellers to go out and befriend those spaces, right? So thank you for hosting is what I mean to say. Oh, no, awesome. Yes, (laughs) we, I feel like we feel a little bit of the same amount of uh, pride and appreciation and gratitude to be able to have as much excitement around uh, a silly little foraging show about <laughs> plants and mushrooms and stuff and that we can you know share your excitement with uh, everybody as well um, that being said let's talk about we'll we'll just give a quick outline of the episode and then we'll um, try to get the format rolling and then we can continue this really really awesome conversation you're great to talk to yeah this is wonderful content <laughs> that we're not recording <laughs> no we are actually, oh we are recording we, we are, are recording, recording. <laughs> okay Yay! you but can use anything i'm i'm relatively <laughs> i try to self-edit yeah I, i've had multiple decades to realize how much i should ramble and sometimes i've gotten to an age actually also and thank maybe thank you to the pandemic i mean you heard my google go off so you know what i don't care i you can see the the intersection of all my dimensions all at once so feel free to use what you wish (laughs) appreciate it yeah um maybe i'll edit it to uh, kind of switch things around and maybe we'll leave it as organic as it is yeah um yeah we'll, we'll we'll try to get off to a running start here by saying that uh Thank you uh, for joining us for the Wild Edible World podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael. And and I'm Steve, and we have a, a just a treat for you today. A really awesome treat that we've been, yeah, working for a couple of weeks to get this organized. And uh, um, a really, one of my, honestly, one of my favorite authors that I've uh, referenced many, many people to throughout the years um, and uh, frequently throughout my classes, I bring her books with me because uh, she's really good and it's a Midwest-centric author. So I think that's really important for my personal audience, but um, also 
just the value of the books themselves are, are just a standalone. Really, really great. They're absolutely gorgeous books. So with us today is Lisa Rose. We want to say thank you so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you for the compliments of the work and uh, that you continue to appreciate the, the effort I've put into the world to add value to our, our edible ecosystems. Definitely. Yeah. No, your first, the first book that I have from you was from 2017, I think. And that's the Midwest foraging with the chestnuts on the cover. Um, oh, yeah. Really, really awesome. Uh, I think, uh, I think the way it's organized is pretty like standard field guide, um, really, really helpful text. Um, but your published works have always kind of been about wild food. And we wanted to ask you a little bit about um, what brought foraging to the forefront of your life. Was, was there some sort of event or um, personal mm. experience? You know, it's a great question. In fact, when I got, when I received Midwest Foraging in hand in print for the first time, I unwrapped it, right? Like, can you imagine, mm. right? Like, it's kind of like the, un, the ultimate unboxing. You've put all this effort in and you see, you want to see your work in print. I unpackaged it, and I, my father, who had since passed before that the the book arrived, I read, I opened it up, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is a compendium of my existence on the planet, <laughs> really. And there was no one event to answer your question for Midwest foraging. Rather, what I was, and what I had hoped to do, was to bring together all of the experiences I've had, I'd had to date for that piece specifically in the Midwest with plants and how really that came, how my personal relationship came to be and in the form of a, of a book of how I could learn to recognize the plants botanically and then also um, with the, 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 the tastes and the, the aromas, right, from a multi-sensory experience. So it was never every ever one experience. In fact, um, I was lucky enough to have a mother who had a garden, you know, all the way back to my childhood, um, both in Flint and on the west side of the state. She always had a garden. She was always um, looking to care for her family from a not necessarily a foodie perspective, but very functionally. Right. Mm -hmm. Canning. That's a source of of economy the household budget right for sure um yeah i was super lucky i mean granted well even her skills compounded over time you know when i was like even in utero in flint she tapped our maple trees and then tried to sugar shack in the kitchen that's awesome oh, wow. that evolved <laughs> yeah, yeah that did not go well <laughs> that's that, ambitious that, that actually right not only <laughs> ambitious but that became urban legend for the family of how not to sugar shack Wow. Because um, my dad had just wallpapered our um, dining room oh, and <laughs> extended. Yeah. And right. Like when you evaporate, I don't know if either of you sugar shacked or, or processed maple oh, syrup. It's steamy. Yeah. It's steamy. You might as well become Dorothy Draper, the interior designer and all the fancy, <laughs> you know, wall coverings <laughs> while you're at it. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, that didn't go well. So I, I grew up with that. Um Again, not necessarily as a hobby, but rather very functional 
way of living. And then adjacent to that, my dad is an engineer and as a designer always said, nature is the world's best and most smart engineer. We can't outthink it. It's got, she's got, it's got the most um, complex system to resolve any imbalances. And so for me, that, you know, that baseline, my dad always had me looking at, and you guys uh, both being from Chicago area, Illinois area, you know, having that Great Lakes impact, right? I was able to really grow up alongside the wind, the water, um, paying attention to all of the different elements that come into play um, in the world around us. So, so urban foraging, you know, is a, is a natural next step from Midwest foraging, right? Like just mm-hmm. to really have have all of us urbanists that might not think about those things, right? To really consider that nature's around us all the time and how can we move forward and build diversity in our urban spaces? Yeah, I actually think that's a perfect uh, explanation because Michael and I were talking a little bit before this and uh, Midwest foraging is kind of like a larger scope uh, Midwest view of things. And then urban foraging is a more like granular, uh, here mm-hmm. are 50 items that you can you can go out and look and I mean every day I mean that that's just part of our life I think I was driving around today and uh, very cautiously looking for late late season persimmon and you know things like that so um, lucky you sort yeah. of jealous <laughs> <laughs> but that's I mean the, yeah. thank you so much for sharing those uh, those experiences because yeah. it sounds like it sounds like your folks are pretty pretty darn cool yeah it's really beautiful <laughs> how sometimes you know our art and our creations are an expression of our cumulative experiences you know that is I, I that is kind of a tough question to answer you know what is this one singular moment you know yeah. mm-hmm. not very many people have a singular moment that there's these yeah I, I feel like I have a similar story too where it's these you know it's these it's this slow buildup over time of cumulative mm-hmm. seeds tiny seeds planted in childhood and everything so um, you know, regarding your newer book, Urban Foraging, I was curious, um, since you, want, uh, you were talking a little bit about your growth and uh, uh, it, between the two books, I was curious, um, <coughs> the design differences are pretty stark, and they're both beautiful in their own right. I, f- I find the first one really awesome in an analytic form, and the second book is that your newer book, Urban Foraging, is uh, just gorgeous. Like, it's truly just from a visual aspect, uh, the way the cover looks, it's embossed, the coloring, and how there's full color, single page photos of a really laser focused 50 plants. Um, it's, is that more of a, also an example of your growth as a forager, or is that how you would have liked the first book to look too? Are you kind of an artsy person at heart, or how did that develop? Ah! I love those questions. And first and foremost, I think I have to give a shout out to my my compatriot in the whole endeavor, Miriam Doan. She's a photographer from Chicago. And we were matched during 2020, pandemic shutdown. Didn't know her from Eve. And publisher Timber Press brought us together to do the photography for this piece. And um, I think for me, the, the question about being an artist, I'm in that season of my life where I am 
trying to connect more deeply. My parents both had artistic expressions in their in their career in their life, um, studio design type workshop environments. And for me, this really is a segue into making life beautiful with our hands, right? Like, and so I think that the the intersection of all of all of the, the the pieces the universe kind of put together for me came to fruition in this book. Um, you know, I, I really appreciated Miriam's creative POV. I can be super cerebral. So like, you know, after 10 hours of like grinding on climate change or human health or whatever, like getting out and making something with my hands or working, you know, alongside Miriam with photography or, you know, just even playing with lapidary and rocks, which is my, 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 um, my, my favorite passion currently. This really kind of reflected that. The blue color, I don't know if either of you are, are kind of um, Pantone color palette junkies. Definitely. But totally, I was totally. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yeah, thank you. So I'm like, this needs to be Pantone classic blue. Like, I am a Great Lakes person. Oh, oh yeah. Full stop, right? My body connects on a cellular level to the Great Lakes. And when I'm at the beach or if I'm along, like, even a watershed riverbed, like, I feel Great Lakes blue. I'm like, so it has to be blue. So there's that. The embossing, I couldn't have even asked for more of that. Like, I was... I should actually email you both my own unboxing of the book. I should. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, she feels nice. Yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, right. And I was like, strong. I did. I, it's, it's more than I could have imagined. Right. I, I think that um, it does require from a, a functional perspective, it does require traveling into the field with field guides that do double click into botanical ID, right? Like mm -hmm. this is a, a, that hybrid piece of not just, I like to call it um, a treatise, both culinary and botanical, and also, you know, stepping into a future state of what, what could be for our environment. So, you know, no one book in general, honestly, is going to ever give you what you need to forage safely. Um, so I think going alongside the foraging series in general, whether you're in the Pacific Northwest, whether you're in, you know, New York City in Manhattan um, or, you know, uh, Austin, Texas, what have you, this book can partner very nicely with those regional field guides to make you confident going out uh, to sort of expand your exploration and, and confidently forage from a botanical uh, safety perspective. That was wow. a long answer. No, that was awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And I totally agree on the, the, um, I like your deliberation with the color, the solid color of the color, uh, cover that blue, um, contrast with the, the like pale green and the plants growing out of the buildings. It makes it all very yummy. It's I was I was trying to think quenching, of quenching. Uh, yeah, that was awesome. I was trying to think of a name for that green, and it almost reminds me of like a mint chip ice cream yep. green. <laughs> no, one hundred percent. Oh yeah, my god, it's like mint it chocolate is. chip. <laughs> and it's it's yeah. beautiful. No, it's absolutely <laughs> stunning. And you know, you, you touched on so many good points as far as like uh, the 
what could be the future and yeah. you know just I, I know I personally do I, I'm pretty sure Michael does as well comes from a pretty similar um, uh, gardening family you know back when back when gardening gardens were a little more popular and I think they're picking up speed now I think they're they're mm-hmm. you know everyone uh, is becoming a little more self-aware as far as like what they're yeah. putting in their bodies and and things that they're they're growing. I'm a gardener at heart. That's that's where I started. I think I was raised as a young child just gardening, and I I, I just think that's a really great point. Uh, is is you know that's a that's a good step for the future. Yeah, looking into the, yeah, seeing what it could be, like what you said. Um, so on that on that note, do you have any like hot tips or uh, some some uh, maybe hot take that you didn't include in the book that you could? Uh, you know, feed us here. Ooh. We, we, we want the, number, the number, juicy number. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you want, you want the, uh, the what next? It's well, a- I think, um, a couple things. I think we're all clamoring for something real, right? I think, mm-hmm. especially during the pandemic, um, the isolation, the anxiety, and I'm, 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 you know, an N of one on all of this, but I got to imagine I'm not alone really, really reevaluating why am I here? What purpose do I have with the talents that I have on hand? And, you know, I think that to encourage people to step out of their comfort zone and, uh, and really lean into what they want to explore, um, whether it's, you know, whether it is foraging or also, you know, an arts, an arts endeavor, I think cooking is naturally uh, lends itself to an artistic expression, right? Being mm-hmm. being able to expand your palette, expanding your perspective. This is what I say a lot for urban foraging. Reconsider what we qualify as this, the quote-unquote cityscape, right? Generally, that has a negative connotation. Sure, yeah. It has, right? I'm the probably first person you'll ever meet to say, oh my gosh, I love Gary, Indiana. <laughs> I love, oh you guys are cruel like i love truly i love miller beach i love going to the lake shore and and only all of us that actually know gary indiana and miller beach will actually get this but there's something beautiful about that intersection between nature and and the human built environment right mm-hmm. and re- i want us to reconsider it as a source of potential and hope and and you know i think a lot about um the natural areas around gary indiana they're extremely biodiverse and i think in general we think of those areas as blighted with a lot of blight with a lot of you know you think of of mostly our african-american community still you know residing in gary similar to Flint, right? Like the, the oh, white flight yeah. in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, I, you know, I feel on a cellular level that feeling of being left behind, right? Us leaving behind the trades, us leaving behind and discarding, especially with Flint and the water crisis. Like that it was just symptomatic of a systemic racism. And, and this isn't necessarily the byline of the book, but actually, their undercurrents and undertones exist, right? One thousand percent. 
Yeah, yeah, and this is this is really what I didn't lead with in the in the uh, the title, but absolutely what I want to give us back those of us living in the city to say that oh my gosh not only are you valued but you're amazing and we need your contribution to the world we need you to continue to raise your voice and i know that can be exhausting and across time like for the people of flint they still haven't had resolution in a fair way in my opinion editorial um to receive the basic human right of clean water mm -hmm. right like those basic things aren't met for them and by beloving and, and and embracing those dandelions and the the docks and all of the unloved weeds right yeah i think that that's, ooh, that's a naughty word <laughs> i know the unloved weeds Gosh, if I had a band, it'd be called the Unloved Weeds. Oh, that's a great name. <laughs> that's, that, that's, your, that's your next project. It's already decided. Yes. That's, that's the juicy hot take. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, for me, it's, it's to restore that confidence for us that feel left behind in the city, right? Or oh, to yeah. feel, I mean, yeah. I, and, and so I think that that, those those next pieces as I look to even, you know, some of the conversations around um, future proofing against climate change, like our most vulnerable in our community are most likely to be impacted. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and first. from climate change. Yeah. And first, 100 percent. And and we don't even look at climate change, but but, you know, pollution again, Gary, Indiana, right. All of the legacy PCBs contaminants um, from the smeltering, all those things. Our indigenous tribes, um, those are our first impacted humans. Um, and how do we reconcile with that? And I don't, I don't even, I mean, I, I kind of give an, I give a nod to it in urban foraging because that wasn't necessarily the first and foremost premise but it's not forgotten in the subtext. No, no, and definitely not. Yeah, and I, I feel strongly um, for my work as a, you know, as a human on the planet for the duration of my existence to work toward continuing to put energy um, behind that and, and making right what, you know, and again, I'm sort of gone off into an my editorial perspective, what colonialism and and the extractive way we've worked with our people and economies has, has had to to write that. And it's not just me that that needs to put work into it, but you know, finding hope in a dandelion actually is a really great way to be an activist. Well, I totally agree with that, and that's it's a huge, hugely important step in something that uh, is you know, a really complicated uh, journey to find an answer to. Um, but first we have to have a, like a certain coming to terms or coming yeah, coming to awareness of uh, what's really yeah. going on and how it's affected everybody. Um, but I think you've said some really, um, <coughs> excuse me, some really, some really knowledgeable things. Um, and then also finding hope in a dandelion could be a really great song <laughs> title for your first for your Aww. first single. Or the, no, that's the album, album title. Oh, that's the album title. I, I like it. Yeah. Aww. 
gosh. But, we need to hang out. But this is, <laughs> so, so this is, the, the, everything you just said, just kind of encapsulated, is, is kind of what drives Michael and I. I mean, we started this podcast to just bring a little bit more um, awareness to to something that that's such a great practice. I mean, I know there's a lot of places that are doing wonderful things as far as like edible forests and things like that. But I mean, it's kind of already here, you know, like maybe you yeah. don't have to specifically plant, plant trees because there are dandelion greens and there are uh, there is dock like, like you mentioned earlier. And that's kind of what Michael and I started this whole thing for is to just make it a little bit more approachable. Maybe let us kind of bridge that that gap into yeah. into foraging well yeah it's about kind of removing the uh unfamiliarity you know just getting more people hearing about it in gen- general is uh you know for 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 now still picking stuff off the ground and eating it is kind of a crazy thing to say but that's what we've been doing to survive for you know billion you know the ever? entire human existence yeah, yeah, yeah. ever yeah right yeah so forever it's, it's wow. not that crazy um, but no, I, and I love you both for one, seeing me, one qualifying me is not that crazy. We got to stick together. <laughs> I know. Right. And then, you know, I think additionally, um, what I really love is, is what you're, you're both saying of, of making it accessible, making and democrat from my perspective, democratizing, like we don't have to wait for government intervention to do the work we feel is right. Is it valuable? Absolutely. And that's a whole other conversation of what needs to happen, you know, from an infrastructure perspective to create um, edible spaces that have rich biodiversity in terms of land management, land use, land um, policy, so to speak. But it's really, you know, relegating it back to that moment you can have with a dandelion and creating that relationship, right? Like we're going back to our four-year-old selves, if you think about it. Like when that, you know, when you're walking down the sidewalk, you find some dandelions, half of which have gone into seed, and you, you, you grab the seed head and you blow into it and you delight, right? Because every four-year-old delight. Actually, I still delight. <laughs> yeah, um, four two forty. Right? I was like, gonna say. Uh... Right, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you are so lucky that you still delight in this because a lot of people have forgotten how to delight in the natural world, right? And so, as a as um, an environmentalist, it does us no good to continue to focus. I mean, yeah, it's it's a really tough conversation to double click into the current state, where we need to go, how we need to move forward toward a regenerative agriculture system, let's say for a food system, right? But when I dial it back to that simple baseline, reconnecting with a dandelion, reconnecting even with my compost pile, right? Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it, it is just, it's, is so much easier to reconnect with that relationship I have with the natural world. And that is what I, I want to extend within the book is to get people that wouldn't consider or have forgotten how to connect with the dandelion just to revisit the dandelion. Absolutely. Uh, it. It, yeah, it is an endlessly curious plant, even to someone that's been working with it for years to me. Like, I even just earlier this year had like a dandelion eating competition with a couple of internet friends on like Instagram just to see who could eat the most amount of dandelion flowers (laughs) at once. 
I'm still waiting for my invitation. Where did my invitation <laughs> end up? Oh, we'll bring you in next what? time for sure. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Next spring, so we'll, I'll bring you in on the loop. Steve. Oh, hey, Mike. Well, what's wrong, buddy? Well, I, I just got this new water bottle, but it just looks so plain. Well, have I got the store for you. Introducing the Wild Edible World Podcast Merch Store. Wowie wow! It's the merch store where you can get all of your favorite podcasts merch for all your decorating purposes. How do I find that? Go to wildedibleworldpod.shopify.com. Or go to any of our Instagram and media accounts and view the link in the bio. Wowie wow! So Sweet. I guess that being, uh, I, I, I want to keep saying that being said, uh, did you go outside today at all? Did you, did you forage anything today? Not admittedly not enough today. And so even for me, your forager to have a, a gut check on getting outside, it was actually quite nice. Um, I have a lovely backyard that has a couple of, you're going to, this is like the cobbler's children don't have shoes. Kind of <laughs> so when pandemic happened, and this is to answer your question, did I get outside? Like I have a, a list of, of guilt slash shame slash work list to do right with my garden. Mm -hmm. oh, totally. um, I have, you know, for me, part of even urban foraging is to encourage people to create biodiversity in whatever space they have. So if you, have access to a community garden and you live in an apartment, that's fine. Lean into that community garden community, right? Because that can help bring that diversity to your neighborhood that way. Yeah. Or if you can um, have like a couple pots out on your patio yeah, or in front of your door or something like it, the littlest bit can make a difference. 100% rooftop gardens. If you can nudge your association to go toward that direction. Mm. Um, so for me, like, when shutdown happened, it was really that trigger of, okay, I am so lucky to have this little footprint. How do I continue to nudge at the edges um, to make this the most biodiverse space? And clearly I said the woodchuck earlier, like the woodchuck <laughs> was, a, was a leading indicator of success. <laughs> and, you know, I did have a list of things I wanted to get to today outdoors, and I shouldn't really look at it as the I have to get to it list rather than the yay I, I am lucky enough to go ahead and make sure my rose bushes um, get repotted so there are some things I want to to uh, make sure I focus on um, before the hard snow falls and I am an avid seed saver so I'm probably going to regret this next year but I cultivated an entire <laughs> This is, I'm probably going to call me next year at the same time, and I'll tell you how much I regret this. 
I love milkweed, but milkweed can completely take over. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's uh, aggressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is aggressive, and long of the short of it, I had a whole bare spot that I'd excavated because of a erosion pit. I'm like, I'm gonna put down milk, uh, milkweed, milk uh, seeds that I'd gathered from previous years and and see what happens. So I've got, you know, some winter cleanup to do. Foraging, sure. um, our family has a winery up north in Leelanau County. I'm on point to gather five pounds worth of rose hips. I don't think there's any autumn olive left. I know, right? Like five pounds of rose hips. Like, yeah, I just spent, I spent, I got six ounces yesterday and that took me about uh, like a couple hours. Exactly, <laughs> not lost. So the family is expecting me to deliver these quantities for this massive amaretto is what we make every year for oh, this wow. family recipe. Awesome. I know it's really quite good. Um, but I don't know how, you know, I look at my list and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I think I missed my window. <laughs> oh, no. Again, the humanity, the vulnerability, <laughs> the cobbler's children has no shoes. I think all the birds ate the autumn olives and dear family, I'm sorry. I mean, that's part of the seasonality and the transience and the specialness of foraging and some of these ingredients is that... Uh, guess what? We're going to have to work with something else. Maybe there's hawthorn berries out there or something, or, <gasps> you know, Ooh, you know, there's other alternatives. I mean, bitch. yeah, I mean, nice. Cause if they all yeah, focus yeah, on the yeah, autumn no, olives, then maybe they left something else behind. But yeah, I've dealt with that a couple of times too. I had a brewery that asked me to get American plums and I sent them the email a month before they responded. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't get you plums anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. I ate them all. And I ate them all. <laughs> that too, right? What <laughs> like, was there? I did eat. Um, so, I, admittedly, I ate what I did harvest of the autumn olives. How can you not? Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't understand how, how it gets past that point. They yet. are my favorite. <laughs> as much as I like right? amaretto. Yeah. I, I, as much as I must try that amaretto. Yeah. I, you are noted to receive, well, again, that's contingent on me actually <laughs> finding the <laughs> right? Like, uh, but you raise a really great point in that, um, it is such a sensual relationship with the land mm -hmm. and it's so trans that the word transient is so spot on, um, variable and fleeting, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's just. It's not something you can dial up your local food distributor, U.S. foods or whatever, and say, I need five pounds of hawthorn berries, right? U.S. foods would be like, what the hell are you talking about? You can't even <laughs> dial up your local professional family member and expect it. Right. <laughs> right? But that training from a food systems or from a, like a restaurant perspective, right, we're very used and we have mm -hmm. a restaurant system yeah used to operating on just dialing it up and getting it on an order sheet right there's not that shipping it from halfway across the world if that's what it takes yeah 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 and there's not that even i would go so far to say there's no skill any longer to even um accommodate on the fly and you know menu changes mm. on the fly working from what you have on hand right i think my background um training kind of came in part 
by Alice Waters in um, California, whose entire staff designs their menu each day around That's what awesome. is fresh, what is right. Yeah. Wow. And that takes a tremendous amount of um, ability to improvise. And a forager needs a similar level of, um, you know, I love the Hawthorne substitution actually for, um, for the amaretto. I'm actually going to send an email to my family and say, <laughs> yeah, what about Hawthorne berries? There you go. They, they and, should take what they can get, you know? Uh, that's what I'm just saying, but don't tell them that. <laughs> I honestly think that's the most special part because, I mean, in, in today's culture, at least the, the culture at large, uh, we're so used to being a, having instant access, like you were saying, place an order, yeah. it arrives the next day, but you're getting this, like, nutritionally vo uh, devoid tomato that, you know, looks mm -hmm. orange rather than red. I mean, as, as a fellow gardener, and, and, and Michael grows stuff as well, like, a, the perfect red, juicy tomato in the, mm. in the peak of summer. There's nothing better, in my personal opinion. And that's what foraging is to me. Like, gives me a chance to do that off-season and find a really special uh, persimmon that's that's extra ripe and just mm. is going to taste like caramel and heaven. <laughs> yeah, off-season right? and low input, which yeah. is my attraction yes. to it. <laughs> Low input is one gazillion percent spot on. In fact, I remember more than a decade ago, I was um, on my friend's farm, certified organic farm, and they've got like acre upon acre of this beautiful um, kale. You know, when kale was a big thing, like when t-shirts were made about kale, right? And, you know, I just laugh at all the interns on the farm and, you know, all the all the fussing with the, the perfect kale. I'm mm -hmm. on the farm walking back to the back 40 looking for the nettles. Exactly. Right? Like, Y'all go uh, on with your, with your kale. Yeah, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here for the nettles. Keep your kale. That's awesome. Keep your, <laughs> keep your tough kale. I'll, I'll take, you know, young dandelion greens or, or nettles or... And uh, any day. Oh uh, yeah, I'm 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 out there catching uh, young dames rocket greens that have sprouted nice. with the, like unseasonable yeah. fall, and they're like really mild. They're not hyper mustardy. Mm -hmm. um, right. So they're they're like decent. butter. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. Like butter. Okay, so I know <laughs> I don't want to be keeping you guys from dinner too much. I'm sure you're hungry. Um, do you have time for like one or one more question? Of course. Okay. Cool. Yeah, they, they know I, I that's why I set the timer. They know I'm I'm occupied. Well thank you right, for guys? being so gracious. Am I good? <laughs> <laughs> um so God willing, if if they can't fend for themselves at this stage of the game, <laughs> I have failed as a human. I love that confidence. Love it. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> sink or swim in my world. Um, so do you, um, can you recount to us any sort of first memory that you have for the first thing that you ever foraged for yourself? I can say, yes, one of the, I guess, mo moments in my, my memory that were super special. Um, first apartment, moving out on my own in college. I was living along the lakeshore, um, Grand Haven. I, I'm sure perhaps you've, you're familiar with yeah, its location. Definitely. Um, not too far off the water. So it was not the worst place to be. And there was this beach trail with all these mulberries. And again, like I grew up, um, you know, with, with, oops, sorry, that was Siri. Not even Google this Whoa. time. Interrupted <laughs> me. 
um, along this trail, there was all of these mulberries. And growing up, like we had wild Concord grapes, wild apples, like all of these wild berries. And so for me to be able to go into the fields um, and, and this along this route and to gather mulberries, I made my first mulberry pie. And it was like June 25th ish. And I remember this because it was hotter than the Dickens. I had no business really turning on the oven. It was stupid hot. But I made this perfect mulberry pie. And by perfect, it wasn't like, it wasn't even very good, quite honestly. <laughs> put me on the, like, the Great American Bake Show or whatever those shows are. Like, I would not win. Uh, but soggy bottom, that. did you? It's a bit stodgy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd, I'd be... I'd, I'd be voted off the island, but <laughs> in my opinion, I was so proud of myself that I was able that the, the, the self uh, sufficiency and ability to create something honestly relatively delicious, right? Yeah. Forgo I, all standards. Really. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it wasn't bad. No. By it now, didn't I'm kill sure me. you have some sort of. It was yummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> retrospectively right? you have a spectrum of like what's really really good and you know i'm sure at the time having done the work for yourself gathered it with your own hands baked it by yourself gone through the sweat and tears and all that i'm sure it tasted pretty damn good at the time it really did quite honestly and i'd say that you know even then i'd say it was a perfect piece because of of ingredients I use right like there mm. was sugar there were berries there was a little bit of cornstarch I'd used to, to gel the piece it was still mm -hmm. quite runny um, but then there was organic I mean at the time this was when conventional butter still wasn't not fake it wasn't margarine but it was still real butter mm -hmm. right and I think Today, you'd have to choose organic. You'd have to choose a wheat that was um, maybe an heirloom type wheat yeah. or whatever. Like even in three decades, gosh, I'm aging myself. Well, it's what has not been three decades, maybe two and a half. Um, our food system in the U.S., you can't even fetch raw ingredients that, you know, from the grocer sure. that have um such a, a, a close to the or to the real source of like the seed stock and and whatnot so looking back I, I'd say that that was one of my my most impactful memories and again I think more most important was that sense of pride and that sense of ability of like oh my gosh I really have the power to feed myself yeah, I have incredible. the power to yeah, it really, really is. And I think that's why gardening and even foraging really spiked in popularity during the pandemic. People wanted to have those skills and we're so removed from our parents, our grandparents that had those skills from a survival perspective. Um, that, yeah. that people are just, again, clamoring for it. Yeah, it's such a rewarding thing. It's like um, 
what's that Tom Hanks movie, Castaway, when he creates fire? Yeah. It's like that, but like yeah. several times a day in the garden, you know? Yeah. Or while you're yeah. baking a mulberry pie. We're huge mulberry fans, huge berry fans in general. Totally. I can't name a berry I don't like. No. Um, right? But that's awesome. No, that's that's a that's pretty perfect. Pretty no, that's perfect a great story. Memory. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, I would say that one of my favorite first stories is has I, I my favorite first plants has to do with mulberry as well. Um, one of the first yeah. fruits that I think I think a lot of beginning foragers feel comfortable with eating right off of the mm-hmm. bat. It's so immediately distinguishable. Um, so I think that's like the the second or third step most people take after dandelion is they get familiar with, oh, mulberry trees. Oh, shit, these are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, on every corner. in the city. Yeah, 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 yeah right? They're and all you have to do is look and underneath the tree and see how many stains there are, and then, oh, you got a mulberry tree. The minute you find your white sneakers are covered in oh, purple, no. you yeah, have hit. Well, seriously, right? Like, no white like sneakers. When your inside shoes are yeah are hit with the mulberry as an as an urbanist, right? You know you found the mulberry bush. Look up. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's totally. that, that's right? kind of one of the one of the identifiers that Michael and I look for mm-hmm. look for is the mm-hmm. the ring around the tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. The fallout. Yep. Stained, yeah, exactly. Yep. Stained ground for um, sure. Okay, for so sure, one last sure. question. I. I, I do you have any more questions? No, no, you're good. Okay, one more. We uh, want to ask if you have any major foraging influences. Is there somebody mm. in your life or your past, um, um, ideally somebody still active that we can like investigate uh, that's inspired you? Oh, and sure. Influenced yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Okay, so it, it, um, first and foremost, it would be my mother because she was brave enough and she's no longer living. So you can't, and she has no Instagram account or anything. So she, <laughs> horrifying, huh? She, <laughs> oh, she lives uh, on in you. She lives on, she does. And she was, she was um, sensical, frugal, proactive, and ingenious enough to just gather all of those wilds and brave enough and even, you know, just to gather all of those wild fruits around our house to put into our pantry. So the concords and the wild apples specifically, I, I, I think about, and I have to give her props. Second is my dad who always wanted me to teach him how to use acorns as flour. Nice. Um, passed on before I was able to teach him and share that knowledge with him. Uh, we had 11 acorn trees in our, our like around our pool of all oh, things. Wow. Imagine <laughs> that. It was awful. <laughs> awful. Imagine the chores of an eight-year-old oh, with man. all of those skimming leaves off the hook. It was a pain in the ass, by oh, the way. Your, your eighth um, <laughs> year must have been a mast year, huh? It was great, but um bum Yes, very much so. Uh, current, currently, uh, the current age, Jim McDonald, I have to say, oh is not just a friend but a fantastic teacher jim mcdonald he lives in the detroit area um when i was really looking to learn how to use foods not just as or wild foods plants um not just as food but as medicine he was the first teacher i'd had in urban and herbal medicine um, and really gave me, I, I've had multiple teachers in that space, multiple um, backgrounds, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, Western herbalism. He remains one of my 
I would say big teachers um, in that space and continues to be as uh, to be one and Alice Waters I'd say as a chef um, she's established a kitchen that has a team that can bring in anything into the front door and create the most amazing most delicious morsels for her guests and it is an honor recently I was able to teach at one of her gardens and be at her chef's table for dinner um how lucky you are. I am very, very lucky. Was that in Michigan or out in California or where? In California. Okay. In California. Yeah. Um, So I would say those folks, I actually have a map of all of my teachers that I can. um, Yeah. I, you know, I have a lot of people that I've have been willing to mentor me and share their knowledge with. And, and I hope that, you know, even with this conversation and conversations around the book and any interaction I can have, I, I really look at those opportunities to nudge people to see the world in a different way and in a delicious way. Absolutely. So, thank you yeah. for that question. You're welcome. A delicious way is, I think, yeah, the, the, the bottom of what we're trying to get to is just get everybody to see things in a more delicious way yeah and i think that's i I think that's a that last point is a great point the alice waters of the world the dan barbers people are chefs that are looking for the quality of an ingredient rather Mm -hmm. than just these massive super fruits the ease the ease as opposed to how special and local and sustainable too you know there's an environmental aspect to a lot of it oh um, yeah, 100%. I mean, thank you for mentioning Jim McDonald too. I think I've never I've never heard of him. I thought maybe I had a book from him. Does he do? Does is he a published author at all? He's working on it. I know that he's working on it. Okay, he has cool. been a teacher in the space for gosh, two decades. I think. Gosh, I hope he doesn't get on me if I'm, <laughs> I'm incorrect on that. <laughs> Um, well, he's got a reputation a, worth two decades. We'll just say that. He really does. He really does. I see. Uh, he's, I, I, I found his website. It's herbcraft.org where yes. you can like access some of his classes and stuff. So some of our listeners, if you're up yeah. in the Michigan area, I think that'd be a great resource to check out. Yes. yes. And besides on wonderful podcasts, how, how can we get a hold of you? How can our listeners find you? I am on the internet and on the socials. I am not on TikTok, however, but not if yet. I want to reach out. <laughs> not yet. I know. I've tried. I, you know, I really need an in-house content creator. Okay. <laughs> like, hey, I'm sign me up. That someday. I know. Well, we can talk. We can talk offline. Um, you know, they. You, all of our listeners definitely can reach out to me. Um, my website, authorlisaembrose.com, all one word. Um, that'll get to me as well as Instagram. You know, Twitter is one of those, those spaces where we're not, none of us are sure if we're going to continue to participate, but I'm still there. Uh, but reach out on, on Facebook as well. Uh, Lisa M. Rose, Grand Rapids, herbalist, forager. I think you'll be able to get to me via the Googles as well. And I love to hear experiences, stories, you know, feedback, all of that. Because again, this is, 
this is about a conversation and growing a growing in a community of of folks that see hope for the future. Heck yeah. Heck heckin' yeah. Um, so yeah, ah. we'll repeat that again. That's Lisa M Rose on all platforms. And uh, her her Instagram's great. I was actually looking at uh, your uh, I think recent trip to to France. Is that is that recent? Yes. Uh, it was super so recent jealous. over the Thanksgiving. It was so necessary. It was so necessary. In fact, um, I, you know, I'm one of those people that's more of a later gram more mm-hmm. than an Instagram person because, sure. yeah, for to be in in France. In fact, uh, when we talk about the quality of the food, mm-hmm. my stomach oh, after ten days was, I came home in a very good place, and I can already feel reassimilating and and again like i eat a pretty basic um whole foods sure diet right and um whole ingredients and i do feel like i have like a slight head cold type rsv it's not rsv i don't know what it is but you know what i mean it's like i I can feel the frenchness seeping away i know i know right i don't want the frenchness to leave me I was I was fortunate enough. Place. Yeah, I, I, I was fortunate enough to spend a few weeks in France when I was younger, and it just I feel like the food just tastes different. The butter tastes more buttery. The uh, there's nothing the like uh, like a like a croissant in France first thing in the morning. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm jealous that you still there have some really Frenchness. Isn't. Mine's all gone. Uh, no, you need to refine your Frenchness. You need, you must, you must. May I help you refine your Frenchness? Absolutely. You know, it's funny. Yeah, because it, it, it is found, it's not just the um, the air of Frenchness, right? It is actually a functional, it is a functional thing. And my daughter was with me and we continue to kind of dialogue about the differences and she, you know, she's a, a senior in high school and she talked, I mean, she was able to verbalize all of the things I, you know, I kind of already know. She's like, oh my gosh, why do we live in a place where we have to have cars? Mm-hmm. This place is so beautiful. This place has such a good cadence of, of time. Those are not her words exactly, but, you know, and, and there's so many dynamics of that that I feel foraging taps into in terms of tapping into time, tapping into a slowness, tapping into a beauty and an aesthetic. So may you find your Frenchness. We find your Frenchness. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I need to find my In initial Frenchness. We'll get you some Frenchness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, get, we'll, we'll get you some. We'll, we got you, dude. I we need, I need my sure French that's... inoculation. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like a vaccine? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think we should work on that. It's a vac- they call that blue cheese. Oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, with that, I think well, we'll bring the interview to a close. Um, I just want to thank you again for being on our show. It's been so much fun. You are so awesome to We talk could do to. this for hours, probably. <laughs> I could, yeah, I mean, I have to stop it because it will not stop. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Please, cut it! Cut it! We'll, we'll, we'll pick it up later. It's yeah, fun. yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again to soon. The conversation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, absolutely happy to. May the next time be in person, perhaps, yes. in the spring. Oh, my gosh. Ooh, yeah. that's Let's an idea. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah, Calendar we'd be happy to make a trip. Light. Yeah, make a trip up to Michigan. We love Michigan. Oh, we I got married in Michigan. I love Michigan. <gasps> yeah, we'll in be Michigan. Up there. 
uh, New Buffalo. So right across. New, the, it's so gorgeous. Right on the it's beach. Such a gorgeous spot. Beach, yeah. The a, beach. <laughs> Area awesome. of blueberries. God, yes, the dunes. Places. All right. Yes. Yes. May we celebrate in 2023. Yes. Both of you, I hope you, I wish you most wellness, happiness, gratitude, and full of life for the end of the new year and into 2023. Wow. Did I say that right? End back, of the new year. Yeah, back at That's you. It. Enjoy that melange of, uh, of the vegetables. The spice must Very flow. nice, yes. The melange <laughs> with a little vino. Ooh, yum, yum. All right. Have a good evening. You too. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. And that was our interview with Lisa M. Rose. Thanks How again. lovely was that? Uh, I'm buzzing. Like dude. a 10 lovely. Buzzing. Like a 10 out of 1 to 5 lovely. Yeah, seriously. Doubled up on the loveliness. Mm. 5 on 5. Thanks for hanging out, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you.